take you a little bit to find this one probably. Genesis chapter 1. So while you're turning there, I'm going to give you another passage of scripture. So I know that's a hard one to find sometimes. So, uh, but Genesis chapter 1 will be there in just a moment. Uh, for the next few weeks on Sunday evening, I'm not sure how long, but I am going to begin to deal with uh, a, a subject that is near and dear to my heart. And uh, if you know me any at all, uh, I have a heart for developing and, and the next generation, developing leaders for the kingdom of God. That's uh, what we do. That's what we put a lot of energy in uh, as we travel and, and, and minister out in places. It is always trying to, to hopefully, by the help of the Holy Spirit, encourage and to energize a generation to grab a hold of this thing and run with it because how many knows we're only here for a moment of time? And if this thing isn't carried on, God help us. And today, I, uh, I want to begin, for the next few Sunday evenings, I'm going to begin to talk to you and deal with uh, godly leaders in an ungodly world. Godly leaders in an ungodly world. And it may be a little more teaching, and I, I'm not going to apologize for that because out through the years of study that I have done, you know, I've studied revivals uh, for many years, what happened and why did it happen, when it happened, what's the formula per se for there to be a revival. And, you know, we could go back and say, well, there was, there was William Seymour and he cleaned out a livery stable and he prayed and he did. Uh, we could talk about Brownsville and say, well, the, the evangelist Steve showed up. And, but, but what we don't realize is the backstory to all of this was years of labor, but it was also years of people enacting principles of understanding what it was to take the mantle and to become a godly leader. Before the cameras ever got there, before the newspapers ever got there, somebody was leading. And in many instances, it was not just leading for a month or a year, but we're talking about they served as godly leaders in an ungodly world for years sowing seed. How many knows that the farmer getting ready to go to the field and pick his harvest, but before there's a harvest, that, that land had to be cultivated. That land had to be, uh, have seed planted in it. But also there's other things that went on because most people that are really trying to get a good yield on their field, they'll even take soil samples. And they take that soil sample and they test it and they find out what's there, but they also find out what's missing. And that's why you'll see those big old trucks pull up on the edge of those fields and they'll dump lime and all kinds of stuff so that the farmer can go out and begin to spread it because what he's doing is he's bringing the soil to the place where it needs to be for there to be a yielding harvest that he can get. Now, that means somebody had to take the initiative and somebody had to lead and began to direct people into the right positions to do the right things in order for that field to become prosperous. I wonder if anybody in here wants to be prosperous tonight. You and I today must understand it is God's desire and God's plan for us to prosper, be prosper and to be in health. He desires for us to walk in the blessings that he's given us, but how many knows it doesn't just happen? So tonight I, I want to, uh, my goal is over the next few weeks is to get us to understand that if it's worth having, it's, you got to work for it. 
Oh, just go ahead and hook me up. I'm just an old mule. It's all right. I've done it before. I'll do it again with the help of the Lord. But please hear me. Before we get to Genesis chapter 1, however, I want to give you a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 15 and 16. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, I won't keep you standing long, but custom of this house and honor the word of the Lord tonight. I I want us to read, and I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture with you. Uh, You can turn to 1 Corinthians 4 if you I did not give them that verse beforehand, Uh, but but let me read this, and then we're going to go to Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and then we'll go to Matthew 5. But godly leaders in an ungodly world, 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet have you not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. What Paul is writing, he's writing to the church at Corinth. Let me give you this very quickly before we continue to read. What he's saying is this, you have many teachers, you have many instructors, you have many people telling you what to do and how to do it. However, you do not have many fathers. How many knows that a father is a leader? When you look at the word father and you begin to find the definitions of it, it does not just mean a male that is a father of a child. We understand that is what it means, even though our culture is messed up and doesn't understand that anymore. But however, it goes deeper. It also means this, an elder individual that is the leader of a town, a city, or a region. It means someone that has given birth to something, someone that has started something. So I want you to understand what Paul is saying. He says, you got 10,000 instructors, but you got everybody telling you what you should do and how you should do, but not many fathers. What he's saying is you don't have any leadership in the church. And that's why the, the verse number 16 is so powerful. He says, wherefore, I beseech you. He says, I, I'm, I'm asking you to follow me as I follow Christ. Because what he was saying is I'm a leader. He said, I'm going to lead you to a place that you've never been. Now, one of the things that has always been a debate within the Christian community is this. Are we even, is it biblical for us to be leaders? You know, a lot of people say, well, the church needs to stay where in its own little place. And, and listen, that is a lie from the pits of hell. But we've had these questions asked throughout centuries. Aren't we called to be followers instead of leaders? Are, are, are we not called to be servants instead of rulers? What it is, is there's a distorting of passages of scripture where people began to try to put the church in a box where it was not influential in its world in which it was in. Therefore, we have to come back and say, what does the Bible say concerning leadership? So Genesis chapter one, verse number 26 through verse number 31. It is a familiar passage of scripture for most of you in this room, but let us visit it together. And God said, how many knows that when God says something, we should listen It's important. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree 
in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be meat for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 13 through verse number 16. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thence therefore good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trotted under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege to stand and to teach and to preach your word one more time. So today, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us uh, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, Lord, to teach this tonight in a manner that your people can hear, process, and receive, and apply. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord this evening. Godly leaders in an ungodly world. I want us to consider this this evening. The first description of mankind in your Bible involves leadership. God designed us to lead. He designed us to have authority and to operate in a realm of dominion. We just read it together in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And I want you to understand, you and I were born to lead. Been made in the image of God means that we was created to be leaders. According to verse number 26 tonight, we find that we was made in God's image. So we must ask the question, what does that mean? And one of the things that we find out in the very next phrase is this, that it says, let him rule. How many knows that God is in control today? He's sitting on the throne in heaven. You and I are heirs and joint heirs to the throne room of heaven tonight. We are made in the likeness and the image of God. And therefore, knowing this, we were fashioned to lead and to rule. And therefore, we are expected to be involved and, in, and engaged in our culture, in our society, in our community, as well as our families. I want you to understand with me, God gave humans authority over the whole earth. Not part of it, but all of it. That's scary for some. But at the same time, know this. We should be comfortable with two positions. First position is this. Number one, the first position is this. We should be comfortable being under the authority of God. Secondly, we should be comfortable operate in the authority that he has given us. We should not be intimidated, but we should willingly embrace that which God has given us. If God told us to rule, then we must have the ability to do so. And I know that all of us can look in the mirror and we begin to look and we see the inability and we see the lack or we see the, the flaw instead of seeing the potential oftentimes. 
You and I have the ability to lead simply because God created us and commanded us to do so. Let me remind you tonight that based on the how he has created each one of us, if he calls us to something, he will equip us to do it. Therefore, we do not have to be fearful of that which he is calling us to, even if we've never done it before. But please hear me. You don't just lead because you have been given authority. There is a process that has to be embraced and completed. When you get to New Testament scripture, as we read together in Matthew 5, we know this, God confirms this call to influence others. It cannot be said any clearer than what it is said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, tells us very clearly that we are the salt of the earth and we are also the light of the world, meaning this, that we are the light of Christ and therefore we are to be that which Christ is. Therefore, salt knows this, notice this, salt not only preserves, but it also influences our food. How many knows that, that and I'll tell on somebody because pepper kind of does the same thing. Somebody was cooking the other day over here in the building just a couple days ago and they had to dip out a whole section of the potatoes because uh, because all of the pepper came out in one spot. How many knows that influenced that portion? Now, if you would have been brave enough, because they showed me how much pepper was on that spot, it would have definitely influenced what you was getting ready to partake of. Are you with me? Salt is the same thing. You and I are to be influencers. I'm not calling no names, Marcella. Don't be embarrassed. It happens to all of us. But if we are going to be men and women of God, we have to understand the significance of what it is. Because when you really begin to tear apart Matthew chapter 5, you find this, that while salt influences the food we eat, light influences the homes that we live, Jesus is simply calling us. Tell your neighbor, us. Tell them again, I don't know if they believe that you're talking to them. Say us. God's calling us to influence and to shine wherever we go. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Wednesday when you're with your brothers and sisters. But everywhere you go, you are to be an influencer and you are to be a light because of the authority that God has given you. The Apostle Paul took this calling very seriously and that's why when you read 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 11, he says this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. One translation says this, Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. What he was simply saying is this, Because we understand eternity, because we understand who Christ really is and what his kingdom is about, then this is why we preach the gospel. This is why we travel. This is why we go and do everything that we're doing. Paul was saying, the reason I'm developing these young men around me, the reason that I'm going to Corinth, the, the reason that I'm going to 
to, 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 to this group and to that group. And the reason I'm going from Jerusalem over to here uh, and then over to here is because I have this call. I have this push in my spirit where I have to influence uh, and I have to uh, bring a light to a society uh, that's in the state of darkness. Uh, and therefore, I have to persuade men that Jesus is the answer. The only way, however, we can effectively persuade somebody is to begin to influence them. Just because somebody gives you a title does not make you a leader. Just because you have letters before your name, after your name, just because you get a corner office, uh, just because they tell you you have 50 people under you and you're responsible for them, that does not make you a leader. Please hear me. The only way that you can ever become a leader is when you begin to understand uh, that I have to live in a manner where I can begin to get influence over the people that's around me. If I ever want somebody to hear what I'm saying, I first have to get them to understand that I care. You can tell people they're dying and going to hell all day long and they'll never blink an eye at you. But if you're there in the presence of their worst time uh, and you're loving them, caring for them, feeding them, clothing them, making sure their babies are okay, you are gaining influence and in their eyes you're becoming a leader of the kingdom and therefore then it might take five months, it may take five years, uh, it may take 15 years, uh, but when they're in trouble they will call you because of the simple fact they, they perceive that you are a godly leader. Don't matter that you don't have a position in your local church. Doesn't matter that you don't have a corner office. Doesn't matter. What matters is you understand uh, that God has called us to be leaders. Anybody with me tonight? Many of us feel, however, that we are inadequate. We feel like we're unprepared to lead. On Wednesday night, we visited a man in Exodus chapter number three. His name was Moses. He had a visitation from the Lord. He was on the backside of the desert, mentioned him again this morning. But if you was to really go in and do a deep dive into Exodus chapter three, Exodus chapter four, you will find that even though he says, I'm going to turn aside and see what this site is. And when he turned and the Lord saw that he turned and the Lord began to speak to him and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I that started the will of deliverance for the nation of Israel. But there was a long dialogue of conversation that followed. And that conversation began to deal with some things that you and I deal with every day of our lives. And God had to bring him to a place of awareness where God was telling him, I see something in you that you don't see for you in yourself. And he dealt with five things because there was five excuses that Moses gave to God why he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. And I know none of you have ever gave God an excuse. But I'm going to go there anyway, all right? Just in, just in case. Notice, Moses begins to have this feeling of being inadequate and unprepared. And many potential leaders throughout Scripture, and you can read throughout your Bible, they was afraid and they ran from their call. And God had to speak into their lives to get them to embrace this godly leadership that he had birthed in them. 
The first thing that was dealt with in the story of Moses is that Moses, Moses struggled with his identity. If you were to read chapter 3, verse number 11, you'd find that he just didn't feel qualified. He thought God picked the wrong man. Anybody in this room ever feel like you're not qualified? But notice what God said. God's response was, it doesn't matter who you are. I've called you and I'm with you is what he told him. So it doesn't matter what you think or how you see yourself. What matters is that you understand that if God calls you to it, he will bring you not just to it, but through it. And he will equip you to fulfill it. So therefore, it's not about the first thing you got to realize. It's not about who I am on myself, but it is about who I am in Christ. How many knows who you are in Christ? Do you really know who you are in Christ? I am a son of the most high God. I am a king's kid. I have royal blood flowing through my veins. Hear me. The enemy wants to tell you that you're broken. You're, you're this, you're that. You're, you, you've, you've got all of this stuff back here. But I have to remind you that for the man or the woman, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that really mean? It means this, that you are reborn. You have a rebirthing experience. Uh, and we find that it means that there's just like you had a natural birth, there is a spiritual birth. Uh, and when you walk in and experience that spiritual birth, you become a king's kid, which makes you an heir to the kingdom of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So therefore, when the enemy says you're nobody, you just have to remind him, don't you remember the day and the hour when I was born spiritually? Because when I was born spiritually, I got a new identity. I was no longer separated from the kingdom, but I was born into the kingdom. And because of that, because I know who I am in Christ, I therefore can stand uh, and, I, and I can say this, I am now uh, in the image of God himself and therefore I have been created to be a leader. Please hear me. Moses had this other struggle. Number two, he struggled with intimacy with the Lord. He didn't know God well enough to describe him to the people. When you really look at this in verse number 13, his relationship with God was weak. He wasn't in a day-to-day -day conversation with him. He was not walking arm-in-arm -arm with him. He was on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep, and, and he was having a struggle with, well, God, are you really who you say you are? Anybody ever pray that prayer before? We all been there at some point. God, are you really who you say you are? Because the enemy comes along and tells all of us, well, if God was really who he said he was, uh, you really wouldn't be going through this or you really wouldn't be having to see this. Uh, but can I tell you uh, what the Lord begins to say? He says this, God's response to him was laying, listen, you need to go tell them that I am who I am. I am everything you need. You don't need anything else, but you just need to know that I am who I say I am. And he's saying this, you just need to come away with me uh, and you need to discover a little bit more of me because I'm calling you to be a godly leader. I'm calling you to be a deliverer of a nation, uh, but you're going to have to know who I am. And the only way you can really know who I am, and for that matter, but the only way you'll ever really know who anybody is, is unless you begin to live with them. Do you hear me? So he struggled with this. 
Then thirdly was this, Moses struggled with intimidation. He worried about what others might say or think. I know nobody's ever struggled with that. But God's response to him was this. When I'm finished, they'll listen. Just trust me. When you really look at Exodus chapter number four and verse number one, he's simply saying, listen, Moses, don't you be afraid of what others may think or say or do. Or, or Don't get caught up in that, but just know this. When I do this perfect work that I'm getting ready to do with you and through you and beside you, just know they're going to listen because they're going to see some things. Now, number four is this. Moses struggled with this. He struggled with feeling inadequate. I'm not good enough. Uh, uh, there, there's somebody else that's better than me to do this, surely. But God said, guess who made your, guess who made your mouth? Guess who made you be able to speak? Because he was really in this place. If you really get into the story, Moses was like, but I'd go, Lord, but, but my speech just ain't all that good. I, I stutter and I get, I get flustered and, and, and I'm not, I'm not a good orator and I, I don't, I don't have every, every, every pronunciation right. I, I just don't do it right. And the Lord said, listen, I don't make mistakes when I make people. I'm the one that made you. So he said, that, that's, you got to get beyond that, Moses. But then he gets to a place where he felt really inferior towards everyone around him. And the Lord said, listen, I will let Aaron go with you, but I'm still calling you. He said, I'll let Aaron go with you and he'll t- I'll let him talk for you. But at the same time, you're not, get, you're, not, you're not passing this off to anybody else because I'm calling you to lead in this moment. I'm telling you, you can try to pass this off to somebody else, but this is resting on you and I at this time in this season. Nobody else is going to do this thing. Nobody else is going to influence a community. Nobody else is going to influence their nation. It is going to be the church. It's going to be the church that is present today in this moment. So we got to get rid of all of these excuses and realize that God is calling us to be godly leaders in an ungodly world. Leadership... If you're taking notes, write this down. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Oswald Sanders said this, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. If you are going to effectively lead, you have to have influence. It is dependent, notice this, leadership is dependent on someone catching a vision from God, and then mobilizing others to join them to fulfill it. That's what leadership is. The leader must earn the right, however, to lead. But if you will earn the right to lead, others will follow. Please know this. There is a lot of individuals on this planet that are capable, that are gifted and talented, but not everybody is a leader. John Maxwell says this, and he doesn't say this in a derogatory manner, but this is what he teaches. I read this many, many years ago, and he said this, there is two different groups. There is eagles and there is ducks. 
He said, if you can spend all of your resources, all of your time, all of your energy on a duck, but you will never make a duck soar like an eagle. He said, let the ducks be ducks and let the eagles be eagles. Please hear me. Not everybody is going to lead, but every leader needs people to follow them to fulfill the task that God has called for that season. But I'm going to tell you something. When God makes you an eagle, you do not get the luxury of acting like you are a duck. Smile at me. I love you. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's a lot easier just to swim around in the pond than it is to fly to the heights that the eagle does. But somebody's got to soar. I'm teaching better than you're shouting tonight, but that's all right. But you please hear me tonight. There's, there's, there's so much truth in this that we can unpack. Before Israel adopted a monarchy and Saul was appointed to be their king, they experienced a time in their history that is called the period of the judges. Anybody remember reading that in your Bible? Notice with me. It was a season when pure leadership was really needed and required. However, in this period of time, there was a period of 14 judges that led during this time. Every one of them brought something different to the table, but every one of them, they did not just fulfill a position because there was no positions to fill. But they was there because there was a need and therefore they saw it and therefore they began to apply themselves to fulfill and to meet that need. They was embracing essential, pure leadership. It's kind of ironic when you begin to look at that time frame in history from the pages of scripture and then look into the time that we're living today. Let me give you six things that was going on in that time and let's look at what is going on today and see if it even compares. You will find in Judges chapter 21, verse number 25 in the NIV, it simply says this, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. If you read in the King James, it said everyone did that which was right in their own sight. It was a very unproductive time. But here's what was going on because chaos reigned because there was no precedent for authority during this time. Wonder why there's so much chaos today, even in our culture. We got a lot of people with titles and positions, but I have to ask with a sincere heart today, where is the leadership? Because we have no leadership. We have no leadership in our nation. We have no leadership in our local churches. We have no leadership in our communities. In many cases, can I tell you, leadership is something that is required. It was chaos. Since the Jews had first occupied Canaan, aggression uh, and aggressive enemies had surrounded them. Can I tell you right now, even in the history of the United States, uh, we are surrounded by more enemies today than we've ever been. All those people that hate us today around the world is simply more emboldened and more empowered today, not because a Democrat is in the Oval Office, no, but because there's no leadership there. 
And the same thing could be said if there was a Republican sitting in the office over the last many, many years. It's because there's no leadership there. Why is it that many of our cities are overran with crime tonight? Why is it you can't go into shopping centers even an hour in any direction from here that used to be thriving, that used to be safe, that you can't even let your wife go to because it's completely unsafe? It's because there's no leadership in those areas. Where there is no leadership, there is a wave of evil that comes in because there's no resistance to it. Please hear me. Thirdly is this, there was no funds or there was no national defense of safety. There was, there was no, no, no way, there was no structure to keep them safe. So therefore, anything and everything was making its way in and out of their cities. Kind of sounds familiar today. We're spending hundreds of billions of dollars in other lands and even giving it to people that hate us and want to kill us and wipe us off the map. But yet we will not invest in our veterans. We will not invest in those that are, that are poor among us. Can I tell you, I'm, this is not a political message, but I, I want to, I'm just drawing parallels of then and versus now. Fourthly is this, other nations influenced Israel with their idols uh, and their superstitions. Can I tell you, there has never been more idol worship in the United States of America than there is currently right now. Why is that? It's because everybody from the east has came to the west and they did not leave their gods at home. They brought them with them. And here's another thing. The reason that you find the period of judges that you do in scripture is this, the heroes of the faith, the men that we talk about often, Moses and Joshua, they were now dead. And the priest of the days of Joshua, they were all dead. And there had arose a generation that did not know God nor the works that God had done. And therefore, there was, no, there was no expectation of order of any kind. Can I tell you, how often do we go down memory lane and say, well, if brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so was still here, that would not be taking place today because they was powerful men and women of the faith. It's kind of ironic. Momentum and Morality was low and therefore growth was so hard it wasn't easy. Can I tell you, there has not been a time in recent history where the morale has been so low across our land. Fourteen judges led Israel during this period and each leader started his or her leadership role from scratch, so to speak. But God was calling them to lead. During these times, don't miss this, leaders, times like this, Times like was in the time of the judges and times like this today, notice with me, it is during these times that leaders must go back to the basics. We don't need to recreate the wheel. We don't need to come up with some new flashy thing, but we have to go back to the foundation. We have to go back to the basics. We have to clear this thing. We got to clear the air basically, and we got to start. And notice with me, the basis of effective leaders, notice this, number one is this. I'm going to run through these very quickly. They perceive a need. Here's what I want to ask every one of you in this room tonight. Can you perceive a need right now in your community, in your state, in your nation. If you want to go further, even in the world, is there a need? Contrary to what many think about leadership today, during times such as this, we always have to go back and pure leadership always begins with a need. Is there a need? If you lead, it was because you saw a need. Can I tell you this? When you begin to look at the judges, in the time of judges, 
there was a need in that moment and therefore they began to deal with the need. When leadership is pure, how many knows there's one thing called leadership, there's another thing called pure leadership. What we need in the church today is pure leadership. We need anointed men and women of God to begin to pick up the mantle and lead. Can I tell you this? This may blow some of your mind. How many knows, if I start rattling off names, uh, I can talk to you about Elijah. Anybody know Elijah? Anybody know Elisha? Anybody know Gideon? Anybody know Deborah? Okay, let's bring it fast forward a little bit. Anybody know the name D.L. Moody? Whitecliff? Anybody know... Smith Wigglesworth, you should know these names. I've, I talk to you about them all the time. Uh, what about Billy Graham? Can I tell you, when every one of them exited this planet, they did not take their anointing with them. But the anointing they operated in was an anointing that was present in their lives to meet a need at that time in history. But how many knows there's nothing new under the sun? This thing is always turning. So there is mantles of leadership that has been laying dormant that men have not yet picked up. And we could go through a whole list of individuals, generals of the faith. But can I tell you, pure leadership always starts with a need. But this need sparks a passion within a person. I wonder if there's anybody with any passion in this room. Because that person then acts in response to the need and that action moves others to begin to cooperate with them to meet the need. That's what pure leadership is. So I want you to understand with me that if you and I are going to effectively be leaders in the kingdom of God in this season that we find ourselves in, we're going to have to come to a place and realize we got to focus on what is the need. Can I tell you the need right now is there is a lost generation dying and going to hell and they need Jesus. I don't know how much more I can make it than that. Somebody needs to influence a generation. Uh, Somebody needs to be salt. Somebody needs to be light uh, to reach a generation uh, and tell them that Jesus is still the answer. But where is the passion for soul winning? Where is the passion? Can I tell you, it wasn't that many years ago that there was men and women that every Saturday morning, even though they knew those kids was going to get on that bus on Sunday morning, every Saturday morning, they would still get up, drink their coffee, and go knock on doors. And they would still knock and say, is Johnny going to be ready in the morning? We're going to pick him up. Why was they doing that? It was because that they understood the need. They had a passion to reach a generation. I wonder where that passion is. They also this, notice every judge in that time, they all was unique and different, but they possessed a gift. Can I tell you, every one of you under the sound of my voice tonight, you have a gift. Now, their gifts solved a problem. And their gifts was revealed differently. We know Samson had a spiritual gift. We know that Deborah had a natural talent. And we know that Gideon, he acquired a skill. And we could go through every one of them and begin to break it down. But notice this. God has put something inside of each of us that is to be delivered to the people around us. So in other words, everyone in this room has something that we need. You have something I need. 
I have something you need. So what needs to happen is that, yes, there has to be a perceiving of a need, but there also has to be an awakening and the, have to realize that I possess a gift and therefore we have to let that gift uh, and that need come together. Notice with me, a person finds a gift inside of them and then they groom and develop that gift uh, and then they eventually match that gift with a place of service and then when you find that place of service, uh, that gift then provides a platform of influence and when you get to that platform of influence, they eventually flourish because of the gift. Right. I wonder why there is a lack of influence in the church today when it comes to impacting the world. Because today we're, we have a lot of talent, we have a lot of skill, we have a lot of wonderful uh, presentation abilities, uh, we, we, we have finances that we didn't have before, uh, we, we can do more than we've ever done, we can reach further than we've ever reached. Uh, so why is it that we don't, if I can say it this way, uh, why is it that we don't necessarily have a seat at the table in our community and in our nation anymore? I'll tell you why. It's because we are filled with people, but we are absent of leadership. And if we're ever going to make a difference, we're going to have to have leaders. But can I tell you, uh, we have leaders uh, that are sitting doing nothing uh, because they're waiting on somebody to tap them uh, and call them out of the bullpen, so to speak. But can I tell you this? The only way you will ever get a platform is if you get to a place where you understand it's your responsibility to develop the gift inside of you. It's not anybody else's responsibility. Listen, you don't need to go searching and giving your card to 50 people to say, man, I, I, I got to rub shoulders with this one or that one. Uh, if I could just get to that one, then I, maybe I could have influence. No, 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 no. The only way you ever get to a place of influence uh, is if you find out your gift uh, and then you develop that gift uh, and then that gift makes room for you. You don't need a man to give you room, uh, but God will take that uh, when he sees that you've developed it uh, and he will give you a platform uh, and the platform he sets you on uh, will cause you to have influence uh, and when you begin to have influence you begin to flourish in your gift uh, and therefore then others begin to follow you please hear me we're wanting a lot of people to follow us but they don't even know who we are we got ministers that says, oh, this and that, I'm altogether lovely, uh, and we have it in every realm, uh, but yet they won't, uh, listen, I, I still am under the understanding uh, that a shepherd has to smell like sheep. We naturally lead in the areas of our gifts. Don't miss this. In our gift areas, we are most productive, comfortable, satisfied, natural, and influential. Don't you dare try to be me. I'm sure not going to try to be you. That's not what God called us to. Listen, I understand that people have an effect on our lives, but God does not call us to be many anybody. He calls us to be authentic. And if we're going to be leaders, we have to be authentic. Notice with me, number three is this. A godly leader will not only perceive a need, a godly leader will not only possess a gift, but a godly leader will also parade a passion. 
The godly leader will not draw attention to themselves, but a, a godly leader will call attention to a problem or to a need. Please hear me. When an outward need and an inward gift match, the leader begins to be consumed and his passion begins to cause him to become laser focused on what God has called him to. I can talk to you about many things. I can talk to you about automobiles. I can talk to you about houses. I can talk to you about property. I can talk to you about horses. But if you want to hear my heart, just start talking to me about missions. Start talking to me about the kingdom of God. No matter what conversation we start, we can hit on everything I just said. We can start with cars and end with horses. We can end with chickens, whatever. But somewhere in that cycle, we're going to spend some time talking about the things that God has birthed in my heart because that's the only thing I'm passionate about going to draw attention to it, going to lead to it. We're going to parade a passion, meaning this. And can't, have you ever talked to somebody talking about the weather and they don't even care? But when you start talking about something they're passionate about, you see their face light up. You see them begin to be engaged. Even the most quietest person in the room, if you begin to talk about something that they're passionate about, they engage. Why? Please hear me. If we are going to be godly leaders, we have to perceive a need, we have to possess a gift, and we also have to parade a passion. I want to ask you the question tonight, how passionate are you about the kingdom? We say one thing, but our lives, if we're not careful, is a testimony against us because people say, I want a revival. I want an awakening. I want God to do this astronomical thing in my community, but at the same time, there's no passion for him. I am a firm believer in this house and every other house. And please do not be offended by what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus could come down on Sunday morning in a visible form. And 75% of the people will still not be back on Sunday evening. I'm just being truthful. Why is it? i tell you why. And it is a reflection on leadership. Number one, we have not let people realize the urgency of the need of the hour. We have not allowed gifts to flow in the manner that they should. And we have failed to parade a passion before the people. We have not been heartbroken enough. We have not been burdened enough. We need a fresh, if I could use David Wilkerson's term, We need a fresh baptism of anguish. You say, that don't sound very fun. But can I tell you, if we are going to reach a world, we're going to have to have it. Because until we begin to feel the burden of it, till we begin to feel the conviction of it, till we begin to really see the need of the hour, we're going to continue to feed this flesh and do what it wants other than what God has called us to. Can I tell you, when you're a leader, you don't just get to turn it on and off. Please hear me. I'm trying to hurry because I know y'all not, not, not really enjoying this, but I have to do what God says. Passion makes up, please says, people say, well, I'd do more for the kingdom if things was different in my life. Here's what I want to give you a secret right now. Passion, tell your neighbor this, say passion makes up for lack of resources. 
every, I got to be careful how I say this, nearly every project that I've ever started for the kingdom that I felt like God deposited in my spirit, I never had resources for, but I had passion for it. Well, I stand before you tonight, I'll just be honest with you. I need about $18,000 for missions right now for me to do what I need to do right now. I need $18,000. I needed it yesterday. I don't have it, but I have passion for it. So therefore, I'm not going to lose sleep about it tonight. I'll lay my head down and I'll go to sleep and I'll rest because the thing is, is I know the need. I possess a gift of some sort, whether y'all believe it or not, I do have a little bit of gift. And I have no problem parading the passion. Can I tell you, when there is passion, God begins to do what we cannot do in ourselves. So don't give me this. Well, I would be a leader in the kingdom of God if things was different in my life. No, you wouldn't. The only way you'll be a leader is if you see the need, if you develop a gift, and if you begin to have a passion for it. So I'm going to ask you, do you really have a passion? I have a passion for the lost. I have a passion for the development of godly leaders. That's why we do what we do continually. But notice with me, not only are these three things necessary, but number one, you got to begin to persuade a people. That's why I'm teaching what I'm teaching tonight. I'm trying to persuade you. I am trying to persuade you to get to a place where you are completely dissatisfied with coming to church and having church. I'm trying to persuade you to become the church. I'm trying to persuade you to become the hands and feet of Christ. I want you to be so uncomfortable and so dissatisfied by coming and singing a song and hearing me preach. I want you to get so uncomfortable and so unsatisfied that you say, I got to do something, preacher. Please hear me. True leaders eventually come to the point where they attract and they empower others to their passion. You know what I'm doing? I am persuading you. I am, I'm parading a passion in front of you. And what you don't even realize is what's been happening to some of you is because of this. There's this itch for you to do something. There's this, this I know Justin's got an itch. If nobody else has seen it, he's got an itch bad. He's got an itch. And what's happening is this. And I'll use him for example because I can, and he don't get embarrassed too easy. Uh, but he began uh, to understand uh, as, he, as he's rubbed elbows with me, so to speak, living over the last few months uh, and been able to travel with me a couple of times, uh, notice that uh, he has perceived that there's a need. Uh, he is now in the process of developing his gift. Uh, he's trying to figure out his identity. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he is beginning, uh, he, he's been around somebody that is parading a passion, uh, and that's why he's beginning this itch uh, and, it, and when I'm with him it's always a, what are you doing what are you doing huh? what, what about this what about that listen the spirit of the Lord is persuading him uh, and therefore notice this what he don't realize is the spirit is empowering him and he's going to guess uh, it's going to lighten the load of this leader uh, in the future uh, because there's a task I don't know exactly what it is uh, but there's a task that I can take off and say that's yours run with it you hear me Leaders give birth to other leaders. When you start trying to live your life as a dictator, what you're doing is giving birth to your assassin. You hear me? 
But when you are a leader, you begin to give birth to another leader uh, and that leader begins to give birth to another leader uh, and therefore things begin to get this in a wheel in a wheel, so to speak, uh, and the glory of the Lord begins to be present uh, because things begin to turn. Leaders don't act alone. Please hear me. They have followers. I am not an entrepreneur, but I am a leader. An entrepreneur does it all himself. I did this. Haven't you noticed people that says, well, I have done this and I have created that and I have done this. Here's me. I haven't done nothing. I just led people to the need and I used my gift and I have persuaded them to do what I can't do. I've even persuaded people to write checks that I couldn't write, but they could. I'm going to persuade some more real soon too. Notice, they have to have followers because they have a cause that's bigger than themselves. I can tell you tonight, what I'm doing is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. Even though we're in the cornfields of Indiana, can I tell you, there's a light beaming out of the field and a world is getting ready to be touched because God is raising up leaders. Can I give you just a couple of more? I got three more, then we'll be done. Please hear me. Gideon started out threshing wheat in a place of fear behind a wine press, but then God begins to talk to him. Notice this. He developed his gift. He got into this thing that God had called him to. He heard the word. He grabbed a hold of it, and he went, and he began to be such a leader that he had too many people come to him, and God said, you got too many people. You can't go with what you got. You got to get rid of three-fourths of them. Because you're going to get all the glory if you do it. You, listen, you've got to get rid of all this. Listen, it doesn't matter how you start, but it's a matter about what you embrace and how you develop. Proven practices for getting things done. I want to give you a few things. If we're going to get something done in the kingdom, for the kingdom of God, if you're going to get something done in your life, listen, if you want something to change, here's some practices that needs to be present in your life. What gets talked about gets done. If you don't talk about it, if you don't give voice to it, it's not going to get done. You can say, oh, God's put this thing in my spirit and I just don't want to share with anybody. Oh, this is just me and God. Listen, nothing's ever going to come out of it. If God has burst something in there, you got to give voice to it and you got to talk about it. Because when you talk about it, something gets done. What gets trained for gets done. If you train for it, you'll accomplish it. But if you don't train for it, it'll never come to a life in your life. You can talk about, you can talk about competing in something. You can talk about engaging in something, but unless you train for it, you'll never do it. How many's ever had this? You don't have to raise your hands, but how many's ever said, you know, at one point in my life, I'd like to do this. I've talked about it. Everybody's bailed out. Now I'm too old to do it. But I said, you know what? One day I wouldn't mind skydiving. Was supposed to do it when Sierra turned 18. She bailed. I think her mom was in her own the other ear and she got scared. I don't know. We was gonna do it. We we talked about it, but our problem was this: we didn't train for it. It is too late, Jim. I'm too old. What gets measured gets done. We can't talk about it right now. We're we're, we're teaching. What gets measured gets done. 
Maybe you need to measure some things in your life. What gets budgeted for gets done. Meaning this, what you make plans for, what you take serious. Please hear me. What gets confronted gets done. But don't miss this one. What gets rewarded gets done also. Listen. When you begin to apply some of these things into your life, it begins to set the stage for there to begin to be the development in such a manner where there begins to be people wanting and desiring to follow. A godly leader today, please, please hear me, they will pursue a purpose. They will not pursue their own fame or fortune, but they will pursue a purpose. What's your purpose tonight? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you getting up and going to work every day? What's your purpose? What are you giving all of your time and energy to? What's your purpose? Please hear me. A distinct person laid out before every one of these judges in those 14 years moved them in a direction to reach a specific need. You and I today need to understand it is very, very difficult, nearly impossible to separate leadership from purpose. I cannot imagine leading without a clear sense of a God-given purpose. The purpose is very clear. We've got to reach a world. Matthew 28 is very clear. Go ye into all the world, teaching them. Preaching this glorious gospel. That's the purpose. What's your purpose? We don't do what we do for any other reason than to bring people into the kingdom. If that's not the purpose, then we're, we need to go back and reevaluate our lives. Please hear me tonight. In Judges... Their purpose was personal, it was measurable, it was memorable, it was meaningful. I wonder if what we're doing right now is measurable, memorable, meaningful. I wonder. God did not put us on this planet just to come to his house and worship. It is a very important part of why we're here, but it's not the only reason why we're here. For such an hour as this, we have been called to go into all the world. But you and I cannot focus on the world until, first of all, we're willing to focus on our neighbor. Please hear me. Leadership is always met with resistance. But rarely will a leader be deterred because of the resistance. Because they are driven by the purpose. My purpose tonight is to persuade you to become godly leaders. Not for the sake of having a title or a position. 
Because can I tell you today, I can take my title off and my position, but that does not change my identity. My title of pastor does not make me a leader. The life that I live makes me a leader. My influence makes me a leader. Why is it that I have influence today? And I don't say that braggingly, but I have influence in many, many states across this United States. I have influence in many nations of the world today. Just a boy from the cornfields of Indiana that doesn't speak the best, that doesn't have the greatest anointing as others. But I am respected and people follow and they listen. When I speak, my phone rings continually, even of older men that has done this a lot longer than I have. And they'll say, Pastor Russell, what do you think? It's because of the simple fact they view me. I'm not calling myself. I'm calling it like it is. The simple fact is they view me as a leader. And not just any leader. And it's weighty for me. It's heavy for me. But they perceive me as a godly leader. Here's the question. How is people perceiving you and the life that you're living? I'm not talking about living to be a people pleaser. I'm talking about living in a manner where God's favor and anointing is on your life in such a manner that people have witnessed. They have witnessed you acknowledging a need, developing a passion for that need through the gift that God has given you. And therefore, because of your passion for it, you began to develop a following and therefore you began to lead others. That's godly leadership. But with godly leadership comes great responsibility. Please hear me. You and I need to understand there's a need today. And you have to understand this. God has placed a gift in you to help meet that need. But you have to grow it and develop it. And you have to begin to have a passion to cancel out the need. And your passion and your work and your self-development, you going to the word of God and giving God your all will build a platform for you. And that platform will give you influence. And that influence will begin to cause there to be salt and light manifested in the region that you're at. And you will begin to experience a reversal and a turn that only God can do. As they come to the music tonight, right now, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, I wonder, I wonder if we will get rid of all of the excuses and begin to embrace that still small voice that God is speaking to us with. And will we yield to it? Will we commit to it? And will we become the men and women God is calling us to be. You say, but 
you don't know where I've come from. You don't listen. Gideon would have not been chosen by men. David would not have been chosen by men. Deborah would not have been chosen by men. Paul would have not have been chosen by men. The list goes on and on and on. But God said, I choose you. In this moment of time, I sincerely believe this tonight. God is calling you. He doesn't want you just to exist, but he's calling you. He's calling you to step up and lead. He's not calling you to titles, positions. He's calling us to leadership. So I wonder tonight, I wonder if we'll embrace it or if we'll disregard it. I pray tonight that we will embrace it. I pray tonight that we will develop our gifts. And I pray that we'll begin to burn with passion. Is it possible tonight? Is it possible tonight that the very thing we're desiring to experience has been held back because we're refusing to be the leader that he's called us to be? As we stand all over the house this evening. I cannot overstate this tonight. The lack of leadership in this hour is very evident. We are witnessing the destruction of a nation. We're witnessing the the destruction of a generation. I hear many complaints, but I have yet to meet very many leaders that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Here's what I want to say tonight. Complainers will never give birth to anything except for confusion and division. Leaders will give birth to hope which will cause others to engage and to fight, not just for themselves, but will begin to fight for others. Leaders will always face resistance, but as I said a moment ago, they rarely are moved by the resistance due to the burden of the need that they have experienced. I can say this tonight By the help of the Lord, I will not be moved, but I will stand steadfast until I take the last breath in this body. I will fight 
for the kingdom. And I will, with every fiber in me, continue to issue a call to the lost. And I will continue to issue a call to the people of God to become godly leaders. Joshua died and all of the priests of Joshua's day passed away and then there arose another generation that did not know God nor the mighty works that he'd done. If you haven't noticed, there's a host of generals that's leaving the earth. Boom, boom, boom. Young and old alike, they're leaving, they're leaving, they're leaving. Right now, every month, over 1,700 pastors are resigning from their platform not to go into another one because they say we can't take it anymore. And now churches are setting without shepherds. The task is too heavy. The weight is too heavy. Please hear me. Please hear me. We gotta have godly leaders. Here's what I want you to do. If this message, this teaching has touched your heart tonight. I want you to pray with me right where you're standing. And I simply want you to pray a prayer of availability. I want you to let God know that you're available. I want you to let God know tonight in your own words that, Lord, if you're calling me to be a leader, I'm willing to lead. Lord, if you're desiring for me to do something different than what I'm doing, Lord, give me a passion for the need of this hour. But Lord, reveal to me my gift. And Lord, help me to know how to develop it. But Lord, I'm just saying that at this moment, I am now making myself available. If that's you tonight, I want you to pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that I sense in this room. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, for Lord, it really is a privilege for me to be able to stand and to teach your word tonight. Lord, it's, it's a passion for me. Lord, I, I know sometimes I, I go a little long, but Lord, it's because of that fire, that passion. Lord, I, I, I could stand here and continue, but Lord, I, I sense tonight that we're at a good place to pause just so that we can ponder on what has been said tonight through your word today Lord I'm asking for there to be a, an awakening and almost a removing of scales from the eyes of your people that's in this room and those that's been with us online tonight Lord first of all I I pray that there would be an igniting in their spirit where they'd realize that, you know what, God's calling me. He's calling me. He's calling me. So, Lord, I pray that there would just be that prayer of surrender and say, Lord, I'm available. Lord, I'm available. And, Lord, as they begin to pray that prayer tonight, 
I pray that they would just sense your presence in such a way. Lord, that there just began to be a peace that come over them where they'd realize, you know what, I don't have to worry. Because in your word it tells us in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. Lord, I pray that that sense of worry, that sense of uncertainty, all those lies of the enemy that says you can't, you can't, you can't because of this, this, and this, Lord, let it be removed from their mind today. Let them know that if you're calling them, you have a plan. You have a purpose. But Lord, we know this corporately, you've called us to the harvest. Lord, we see the need for the harvest to be brought in. And Lord, we're just praying that there would be a renewed passion for it tonight amongst your people. And Lord, I pray as as every individual would go through the process of developing their gift and their talents that you've given them. Lord, that there would begin to be a platform provided for them. Lord, a platform of influence on the job, in the workplace, in the community, in their place of business, in their career field. Father, I pray that they would begin to be influencers. They'd begin to be that salt and that light that you've commissioned us to be. So today, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the harvest that's about to be brought in by the hands and the feet of your people that are choosing to be godly leaders and for those that's going to follow. Lord, let them not get distracted. Let them never think it's about themselves. Lord, let us never be lifted up with pride. But Lord, let us be sensitive to what you're calling us to. For Lord, we believe this, if you call us to it, you'll anoint us to do it. And Father, today I pray for the anointing power of your Holy Spirit to rest upon every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the godly leaders that you've called us to be. We pray this prayer knowing and believing and trusting that you have some wonderful things in store for your people as they follow after the things that you've instructed us to. So Lord, today, bless them, shine upon them, visit them, and comfort them. Empower them with the power of your spirit. And we'll give you praise and glory for it. And the church says, amen and amen. For watching, I hope this message blessed you. And if you could, please check the description below for all of our links to our social medias. Um, And as always, check our page. You'll see all of our previous messages there. Uh, I hope this message again blessed you and uh, reached you where you're at. And thanks for watching. See you soon.